Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Ruth. This morning, if you'll turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to use one in the pew or chair in front of you and open that and let God speak to your heart as we study His Word today. While you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I heard about a new teacher. She was trying to make use of her psychology courses that she was taking in the evening after teaching her children. So she started her class by saying, everyone who thinks you're stupid, stand up. And as you can imagine, it was sort of awkward. After a few moments, a little Johnny stood up and the teacher said, Johnny, do you think you're stupid? He said, no, ma'am, but I hate to see you standing all by yourself. (laughs) Now, that's the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to talk about that today. The title of my message is, Are You Participating in the Ministry of Reconciliation? Now, look with me in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of, what does it say, beloved? Reconciliation. Now, in preacher boy school, in preacher girl school, where we study the word of God, the word reconciliation is evangelism. And you'll see it over here on this this poster we have on the wall. These are the five purposes of the church. So reconciliation is simply a big, big biblical word for evangelism. Now notice the theme as I read it to you. Sharing our faith is not optional. So each of us must cultivate this discipline if we're going to continue to grow in our walk with Christ. And like other other disciplines, it gets easier the more we practice it. God has not called us to be successful, only to be faithful. Will you talk to someone about Jesus this week? Will you be available to be an ambassador for Christ? As we continue our series on spiritual disciplines, this morning we'll be talking about evangelism. It is the primary function of a disciple of Jesus Christ to make disciples and expand the kingdom of God, and yet this spiritual discipline is rapidly becoming one of the most neglected by Christians. This morning, I want to share with you the following lesson. Now, look at your outline, point number one. Point number one, the fear of the Lord calls us to witness to the lost. The fear of the Lord calls us to witness to the lost. Now, look with me in verse 11 of our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It begins this way, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are is known of God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Now, some of your Bibles will say the fear of the Lord. Others will say the terror of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Now, the Bible tells us also that this fear of the Lord comes because one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Look with me in verse 10 of chapter 5. In verse 10 it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, beloved, if you have your own Bible, you ought to highlight that little word all. How many are going to appear? All of us. We're all going to stand. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now notice the next part of the verse. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or, what does it say, beloved? Bad or evil. Now let me ask you to do this. If you have your own Bible, you ought to highlight the one that says each one. We see all and every one is going to stand before the Lord and you will receive what is due to you. And because of that fear, we should be sharing Christ with other people. Not because we, we are doing it because we are afraid and we can't, we're not going to go to heaven. We know salvation is by faith. Amen. But because we're saved and because we know that our Heavenly Father wants us to do good things, then we should share with us, with others. The Bible uses the word fear at least 300 times. We have a horrible problem here because the Bible tells us in 1 John, turn with me to 1 John, it's back toward the book of Revelation. If you find the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, and then you come back, you'll find 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. Look with me in 1st John, in chapter 4, and verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Drop down to verse 18. Verse 18. Therefore, is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out, what does it say, beloved? Fear. All right, so we got a problem. We have love and we have fear. We have our text today saying we are to fear God. So what do we do with this? Beloved, what I'm saying is this, this fear is not to be shaking and quaking that you're terrified of Him. It's talking about being reverent to God and understanding that He is holy and He is all-powerful. You should fear God. It's good because the fear causes us to be saved. It lets us know that we need a Savior. We're in awe of His holiness. True fear of the Lord causes believers to place their faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. To fear God involves recognizing that he's angry about sin. He's angry about sin. He's not angry about us. He loves us. 
He's angry about sin. Now turn with me to Psalm 76. In Psalm 76, the psalmist writes these beautiful words. Psalm 76, let's look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says, But you... You are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? Verse 8, from the heavens you utter judgment. The earth feared and was still. You were feared and it was still. In Romans 3, verse 18, it says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. They didn't fear God, so they didn't need to be saved. Now, there's a legend that is being told about Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther was the founder of the Reformation. One night in a dream, he was visited by the devil. And the devil challenged Martin Luther's adequacy to lead the Reformation. And he said that, who are you to, to be doing this spiritual awakening? He said, you have all these shortcomings. And Luther told the devil to write down all his sins. And the devil happily sat down and he began to write down all his sins. And he got quite a long list, a couple of pages long. And then at the end, he presented these sins to Martin Luther. And Luther began to read over the sins and he said to the devil... He said, but you need to add one more thing to the list. At the end, you should write 1 John 1, 7. Notice I give this to you on the outline. This is what it says. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that amazing? 1 John 1, 7. You ought to look at it and read it. Put it on your, your refrigerator. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Today our world is struggling with a postmodernism that is in our schools, it's our universities, it's even in, in uh, elementary school, it's in kindergarten. This philosophy, it's permeating everything in our society. It says there's no absolute truth, and if there's no absolute truth, then there's no universal sin. And if there's no universal sin, there's no need for God. Proverbs 11.30, turn there with me, sort of in the center of your Bible. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. One translation, my ESV translates it this way, he who captures souls is wise. Isn't that a beautiful translation? The second lesson I want you to see, look at your outline, point number two. The love of Christ motivates us to witness to the lost. So we saw, first of all, the fear of the Lord requires us to tell people about Christ. The second point, the love of Christ motivates us to witness to the lost. Now turn back with me 
to 2 Corinthians, our text for today, chapter 5. And look with me in verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. In other words, Jesus died for all. He paid for sin. And so then everyone can receive it. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Drop down to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a what, beloved? A new creation. Do you understand that you are a new creation? We forget that. We just think we're the old same, I'm the old same Lee. No, I'm not. I am a new creation. I am a child of God. Therefore, I have the ability to live where God wants me to live. If you're not a child of God, you don't have that ability. You can be good, but you can't be what God wants you to be. And he says you're a, a new creation. He says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look at verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what, beloved? Reconciliation. Last week I was in Sam's with my beautiful wife, and we were getting some... Uh, some uh, produce. I don't know if y'all shop Sam's for produce. Let me encourage you to do that. My, my, uh, my grandsons love their tomatoes and love their uh, grapes. And so I highly recommend that you shop at Sam's for their, your tomatoes and grapes. And so we were in Sam's and I was buying things for my grandchildren. And you know how they have the, the uh, displays there and people are offering you things to taste and eat. Some of y'all, you, you like that. I, I'm not, that's, not, I, that's not me. You know, I have people that you walk into Sam's and they want to sell me windows for my house. I'm not here to buy a window. I, I have, I'm a man on a mission, okay? My mission is to buy grapes and tomatoes and things for my grandson, and you're in my way, all right? All right? You're in my way. I don't want to buy. I don't want to buy windows. I don't need a new roof on my house. Uh, and so you walk in through there and, and uh, people are, are talking to and trying to sell me. I said, no, thank you. I, I'm, on, I'm on a mission. And somewhere in Sam's, down toward the back, I'm down there. I've got my grapes. There's this young man standing there. And he has all of these blenders lined up. And he has all these different juices. And he's got green juice and pink juice and all this stuff, and he asked me if I want to taste some of this smoothie. Do you, do you, you, do you understand? The only thing I drink is Coca-Cola, all right? The nectar of the gods, all right? You can't, you can't improve on that. I mean, I mean you, can, you can use any machine and put anything you want, but it's not going to be as good. In fact, you know, they're going to serve Coca-Cola in heaven. I believe that, all right? So he asked me if I wanted one of those green drinks. Well, I asked him if he wanted Jesus. And here we were 
We're standing there. I had said to him, I said, no, thank you very much. And I said, you have a bl I said, have a blessed day. He lit up like that. And he said back to me, well, you have a blessed day. And then I looked at him. My wife's standing right there with me. And this is what I love to do. I said, uh, have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Right there in Sam's. All right? Right there in Sam's. This man, he lit up. He said, yes, I have. I'm a child of the king. We began to talk, and he began to say he started this company. Not only does he sell green juice, but he sells chocolate. Now we're talking my second language, amen? <laughs> because if you're going to have a Coke, you need what? Chocolate, amen. Now we're talking heavenly language. He said, we make our own chocolate, he and his wife. Well, you know what? I got his card. I said, I got a church full of people who love Coke and chocolate, amen? And I'm talking to him, and we're talking about the Lord. But this is what I'm telling you. Do you look for a, 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 a way to share Jesus with people and talk to them? We're standing right there in Sam's, and we're talking about the Lord. We got off the green juice, amen? And we talked about the Lord. And he began to share with you how much he loved the Lord. This is what I'm talking about. This controls me. It, I'm in control. That word controls. It's always in my mind. I'm trying to think of how I can share Christ with others. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. I love this verse. In Romans 5 verse 8 it says, But God commended His love towards us and then... While we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. He died for us. This motivates me. It was love that sent Jesus to the cross. God's love for His people that He created. God's love for humanity. Even though we're in rebellion, He still loves us. He loves sinners because you know what? We're all sinners. I'm a saved sinner. And there's no, you know, I'm still a sinner. Notice I had to hit a saved sinner. He loves sinners. He died for us. He stayed on the cross because he loved us. You know, one of the things they told me in preacher boy school, he said at any time he could have come off that cross. He could have had the angels. Thousands of angels were there watching. At any time he could have commanded them, they would have taken him off that cross. He could have wiped out all the Roman soldiers there in Jerusalem if he wanted to. It was love that kept him on the cross. One of the true evidence of a person who is born again in a right relationship with God is that they share their faith with others. They can't help it. They have become new. The old has passed away, and so they share their faith with others. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, Pastor Lee, I'm just so afraid to talk to somebody about the Lord. What if they ask you something you don't know? My grandchildren ask me things I don't know. You need to get over that. If you don't know it, you just say, well, that's a great question. I don't know that, but I'll get you the answer, and I'll get back with you. Even if you're afraid to do that, invite them to come to church. Invite them to come with you to a, a meeting where they'll hear the gospel. Don't let fear keep you from serving the Lord. Now the third lesson, look at your outline, point number three. Our relationship as ambassadors 
require us to speak for Jesus Christ. Now turn with me back to our text in 2 Corinthians and look at verse 19. In verse 19, he says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. So we are trusted with this message. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Beloved, you are an ambassador for Christ if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now the question is, are you a good ambassador? Or are you a poor ambassador? Every believer is an ambassador in Christ for good or bad. Paul is motivated to be a faithful ambassador of Christ. He says, I want to be a faithful ambassador. There's no authority that can override this authority. You have been given this office of an ambassador, and you have the message. Notice what it said. You have this message of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, and then you have the message of reconciliation. As ambassadors of Christ, it's our job to be counselors, to encourage people, to share the gospel. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, it says, For our sake, he made him, so he is God, him is Jesus. So read it this way. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How about that, beloved? When he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. The ministry of reconciliation. It is a God-given job, a God-given message, and it is a God-given power to accomplish it. But the question remains, why don't we do it? Why don't we share Christ with others? Why aren't we always thinking, well, how can I tell this person about Jesus? This week as I was preparing, I came across a wonderful story about a man who had a great desire to lead people to the Lord. And he didn't have the ability, but he knew who did. And so he went and got his pastor. This is a story. It's a true story. It's called A Nest of Them. It's a soul-winning story. And let me share it with you this morning. Pastor Archie Ratliff, Pastor Archie Ratliff, a Southern Baptist pastor in North Carolina, has rightly said that David Paramore, now remember this name, David Paramore is one of the greatest leaders of the free will Baptist denomination has ever known. Now, Pastor David Paramore is no longer with us. He's in, in heaven. And so he wrote a book entitled, it was his memoirs, To God Be the Glory, Sketches from the Life and Ministry of David Paramore. Maybe I'll write a story about you one day. Amen? Can you imagine this? So, in my devotion... One of the parishioners got a copy 
of Pastor Paramore's book years after he had passed away. He had grown up under this man of God, listening to him preach the word when he was a child and a young man. He said, I sat down and I began to read this book with sheer delight, devouring every page. But there was one humorous story in the chapter entitled Soul Winning Stories that not only made me laugh, but it, almost, it also made me reflect. As Pastor Paramore tells it, in late 1960, after preaching a message on soul winning, Clifton, Clifton, a man in his church came to him and said he wanted to go soul winning with his pastor. Preacher, preacher, I know where a whole nest of them are, Clinton said. I know where a whole nest of them are. And Clifton excitedly told the pastor, we need to go and get them saved. So he and Clifton set out one day together to find a whole nest of people who needed to be saved. Amen? While on the way to a local crossroads, Pastor Paramore says that Clifton flagged down an old pickup truck. And he thought maybe that Clifton was trying to warn the man about something being wrong with his pickup. Or perhaps he had been trying to get up with him about some matters unrelated to their plans for the day. I was wrong, said Paramore. Clifton looked at him and said, Preacher, this is our first prospect. I, knew that, I know this man. He needs to get saved. You talk to him. Pastor Paramore says he got out of the car to greet the man and couldn't help thinking, my goodness, right here on the side of the road in front of a nice brick house, Clifton then boldly escorted the pastor to the man's tailgate and had the man sit on the tailgate. And he said, Bill, you need to be saved. This is my preacher, and he's going to tell you how. Pastor Paramore sat down on the tailgate beside the man with cars whizzing by, and he showed him from the Bible how he could, could commit his life to Christ. Bill bowed his head and asked Jesus to save him. Later, Pastor Paramore would baptize the man. He would become a faithful follower of the Savior. Paramore says that he noticed someone looking out the window of that nice brick house. Although I was thrilled that Bill had just gotten saved, said Pastor Paramore, I was also relieved that we were getting into our car before the people in the brick house called the law on us. That's when Clifton pulled into the driveway of the brick house. I thought he pulled in to turn around, said Pastor Paramore, but Clifton cut off the engine and said, Preacher, those folks need to be saved. Pastor Paramore said he couldn't believe they were actually walking up to the front porch of this brick house where only minutes before someone had been curiously peeking out the window at them. A lady answered the door and Clifton called her by name. This is my pastor, Clifton said, and he's here to tell you how to be saved. The woman responded, Clifton, I'm saved, but my husband's not. Y'all come on in. Her husband came in from another room and sat down, says Pastor Paramore. Clifton uh, looked at him and said, 
you need to get saved. And the man said, well, Clifton, I'm glad you're here, but I'm a Methodist. I'm a Methodist. I don't need to be saved. Clifton said, it don't matter if you're a Methodist. God can save you anyhow. And right there in the living room, Pastor Paramore shared the gospel with them. And this man decided that despite his church affiliation, he needed to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Some years later, this same man was stricken with terminal cancer. And Pastor Paramore went to, to see him on his deathbed. And the man gratefully reminisced about that pitiful, that pivotal day where they knocked on his door and Clifton said, you need to get saved. Man. Well, Paramore says he thought the day's visitation would end after leaving the nice brick house. But instead of going home as he expected, Clifton drove his preacher to see one more. One more, this time one of Clifton's relatives, a man Paramore had witnessed to on several occasions with no success. When the man answered the door, Clifton got right to the point. He said, Joe, you've messed around long enough, and if you keep on going, you're going to hell. You need to get saved. Joe hesitated for a moment and said, I reckon you're right. Come on in. Within a few short minutes of the visit, Joe had prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. The chapter concludes with Pastor Paramore recalling, Clifton and I finally made our way back to the church. He had led us to the nest, and the Lord did the rest. Isn't that something? Before Clifton passed away years later, he was used many times, time and time again, to bring souls into the kingdom. Can't you do that? Will you do that? That's the question. Let's pray. Danny Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open the word of God and to preach to your people. It's a joy each week to open your word, have you speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here today, friend, maybe you're here and you know you've never asked Christ to be your Savior. You need to be saved. Let me just talk to you for a moment. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Every one of us has sinned and every one of us has fall short. But that's not the end of it. You see, in Romans 10, 13, the Apostle Paul says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, if you're here today, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. God loved you so much. He sent his son, Jesus, who was sinless, to die for all. And if you would put your faith in him, the Bible says you will become a child of God. Friend, if God is speaking to you today about making that decision, right in the silence of your own heart, right now while others are praying, you can make that decision. Why don't you just have a little prayer with God and say to him, Lord, I feel you moving in my heart today. I want to confess my sin to you in the best I know how. I want to accept Jesus Christ 
as my Savior. And then say this to him. Just say something like this. God, make me your child. Oh, friend, if you pray that prayer today, the Bible says immediately you're changed. You're a new creation. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Your name is written in the book of life. You have become a child of God. Would you make that decision today? Christian, let me talk to you. How are you doing with this discipline? Are you sharing others? God can use a simple man. He used Clifton, a very simple man. Clifton knew where there was a nest of people who were lost. And he took his pastor to meet them. You can invite your friends to church. You can share, give them a track. You can talk to them and tell them what God has done for you. You need to be practicing this discipline. Lord, hear the prayers of your people. I think today many are, are asking forgiveness. Asking you to help them to be better. This, this wonderful ministry. Lord, bless each one. Be with us this week as we share Jesus with others. I ask this in your son's name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.